Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Songs have a habit of sticking in my mind. The songs can change my mood. Songs, uh, you, can, uh, you can now download songs which will change your mood for when you're exercising. Here's what one uh, site claims. Uh, studies have shown that listening to music during exercise works wonders on the mind and body. Not only can it improve results by acting as a motivational tool and as a distraction from fatigue, but it can help improve lung function. It might even make you smarter. So music is powerful. And songs bring back memories and feelings from the time when you listen to them. Some of the songs, I remember, one of the songs I remember from my uni days was Wonderwall by Oasis. Now you can maybe try and work out when I was at uni from, from that. Now when, I, when you told each other what your soundtracks from this week were, now no doubt when you look back in years to come, you'll remember those songs and remember the time and the memories and the feelings that you had then. Do you know, it'll be the soundtracks which bring back the memories. Well, our hope and desire is, is that we look at this, we're going to look at some songs from the Bible, some of the Psalms, and we hope as we look at these songs, maybe these songs might be the things which you will think back on about your uni days and think back with good memories about. It soundtracks to inform how you live and the decisions that you make. Now today we're going to begin by looking at Psalm 1, which introduces the whole of the Psalms really. It's an introduction song to the whole of the Psalms and raises many of the themes that if you read through the Psalms you see again and again. And so we're going to read Psalm 1 together. So if you want to grab a Bible... Um, look on with somebody else if you've not got one with you um, and then we'll see what we can learn from this together blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff and the wind blow, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you want from life? Now, what do you want to get out of university life? Fun? Memories to look back on? Now, I remember reading somewhere, that somebody was kind of saying, the thing that you want to get from uni is memories, so that when you're old and you're sitting in your armchair, not able to do much, you can look back on those days and reminisce and this slide, sit back and go, ah, good times. Maybe that's what you want from your uni days. Maybe you're more focused on the future and you're looking at the the career and the money that this degree might bring you. The power and the influence that you might get. Maybe you're hoping to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a husband and a wife. There's loads of things that you might want from uni life, but, but why? Now I think the thing that drives us most is happiness. I don't think I've ever come across somebody who says they don't want to be happy. You know, people spend vast sums on money, of money trying to be happy. 
We want a boyfriend or a girlfriend because we think it will make us happy. Do you know anyone who really wants to have pain and sadness in their life? Well, this psalm begins, you see how it begins in verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now the word that you could even translate it is, happy is the man. This psalm is going to present before as a happy man. A portrait of a man who is happy. And here's a man that we should want to emulate, to think that's what I want for my life. And verses 1 and 2 paint a word picture before us of what this man is like. First it will show us negatively what he's not like and then positively what he is like. So first, let's see what the happy man doesn't do. You see in verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is, he's not shaped by the advice of the wicked. He's not drawing into thinking in the ways that everyone around him thinks. He's not shaped by the views of those who stand opposed to God. Who forms your opinions and attitudes? Have you ever thought about that? Often we are unconsciously shaped by those around us. The culture around us is the air that we breathe and so we take on the values and the standards that they have without even thinking about it. Well the psalm says here, as happy is the man who doesn't allow himself to be formed by those. And we'll think a little bit later about who those wicked are. And then he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't go the way that sinners go and join in with their actions and their behaviours which stand opposed to God. And in fact, to stand in the pose to the very fabric of the world. So there's much pressure, isn't there, to live like everyone else. Peer pressure. It doesn't stop at school and at uni. It goes right the way through life. But here's a man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't go that way. Thirdly, he doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. I think this is about joining a group of people. Of belonging. The man doesn't make his primary allegiance... With a group of people who are opposed to God. People who are mocking God. Now the mockers that are here are people who don't want to have anything to do with God. And so mock and jeer at him. Do you see the progression? Walk, stand, sit. Starts with the thinking. Leads to behaviour and then to belonging. So who's got your ear? And who's going to shape your thinking and your actions? And your belonging? Do you know, there are Christians who will say as we read this, that what a Christian should do is not mix with non-Christians. Keep yourself separate from them and then you're not going to be doing anything of what verse 1 is saying here. But that's not the psalmist's point. No, rather he's saying don't be shaped by the world around you. Don't let the standards of everyone around you be the standards which you take up and live by. I heard a preacher explaining well once saying, the boat's meant to be in the water but the water's not meant to be in the boat. I'll let you think about that for a minute. The boat's meant to be in the water, but the water's not meant to be in the boat. Well, you see what he doesn't do. And then in verse 2, the psalmist tells us what he does do. And I think what he says here is quite surprising. You see, verse 1 says he's not shaped by the world hostile to God. And so in verse 2, you're going to expect him to say, be shaped by the godly. Be shaped by the church. But that's not what he says. Look at verse 2. But 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I think that's quite surprising. Rather than being shaped by these people opposed to God, here he is saying he's been shaped by the law of the Lord. It's mentioned twice. The law delights him. The law consumes him. He meditates on it day and night. And so what is this law? Well, for, with the person next to you, just for, for one minute, what's the law of God? What do you think that is? Discuss with the person next to you. The law of God. I wonder what you, you thought the law of God is when you came across it. It's a, an interesting phrase. I think often when we read the word the law of God, what we immediately think of is rules. That is things that we shouldn't do. And certainly the law of God includes that. However, when we read the law here in the Bible and in this context, it means much more. Now if you were, if you were a Hebrew reading the Hebrew Bibles, the first five books of the, Bibles were, of the Bible were called the law. And those books include the account of creation, the fall of Noah, the Tower of Babel, of Abraham and his sons, of the exodus from Egypt, of the Ten Commandments, of the building of the tabernacle, of the wandering around in the desert, and of other different regulations. You see, it teaches us much more than just individual rules. It teaches us the origin of sin. It teaches us how mankind continues to sin. It teaches us of the gospel promise of God that he would one day restore blessing to mankind so they could be in relationship with him again. It teaches us how to live in response to a God who is kind and a God who rescues. And these words of the law were meant to penetrate into their hearts and minds and change them. And as we read Psalm 1, that's what they're speaking of, the law, the first five books of the Bible. And yet it includes much more than that now, because God has shown himself in much more than just those first five books. And we have now the whole of the Old Testament, the New Testament as well, books which all were taken up to say, this is what God's like. This is what God is like. The story of God and his world, a marvellous story. And the person who is happy delights in it. Did you see that? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of God. And it does stand in contrast to verse 1. You see, the person, we are to be the people who are shaped by God. And you see, he changes our thinking by his words. He shapes our actions by his words. He shapes our primary allegiances by his words. You see, for the Bible is no less than God himself speaking to us as we read it. And the psalm is prodding us. It's like a poke in the side to say, who are you listening to? Are you listening to God? Is God shaping your desires and your wants? What shapes your life? Is it God? Or is it those around you? Now to me, if you're a Christian, it seems self-evident that you're going to want God to shape you. So now surely as a Christian, you're people who want to listen to what God says and put that into practice. And the way God is going to do that is through the scriptures. So are you a person who delights in God's word? Who meditates on God's word day and night? So now as a, a church, we're really serious about putting the Bible at the heart of everything that we do. Not because we want to be intellectual. But because God says that's how he speaks to us and we want to know God. We want to be shaped by him. 
We want to know what he's like and how we should live in response to what he's like. And here, right at the beginning of the the Bible's um, song book, is an exhortation to love God by listening to his words. Not as an end in itself. So we don't read the Bible so that we might be able to quote what Psalm 1 says. God already knows that. No, we want to see what it says about God and how we should live in response to that. So how are you doing in meditating on God's word? Of listening to it? Of delighting in it? In fact, how do you even do that? Is that a question you've ever asked? Well, let me say one thing which is going to be enormous value if you're going to listen to God's word is daily reading it. You know, the, the quiet time. You know, growing up in this country is a good spiritual discipline. The discipline of reading your Bible and praying. You know, a serious attempt to understand what the Bible says and apply it to our lives. So now I'm aware, actually, as I look out here, there's probably few of you who actually do that every day. Open your Bible and read it. Now, for some of you, that's probably just because you're disorganised and lack self-control. And yet for others, I guess there'd be a genuine feeling of, but what do I do? How, do? how do I do this? I don't actually know what to do. Well, let me say, it can be really very simple. Now, one, one way which I think is really helpful is taking notes from the Sunday sermon and the, the passage it's been preached on. And then uh, Monday through Saturday, reread that passage and think about it. Think about what the, what the preacher said on Sunday in the point one. Is that what the pastor is saying? Do I, is, can I see that? Where is he getting that from the passage? How can I put this into practice in my own life? Is there ways that I need to change things I need to do differently? You see, doing that kind of thing could transform your thinking and your actions and then your belonging. But can you see that to do that takes a little bit of effort? Now, for one, it means that you're going to have to take notes on a Sunday when you listen to the talks. And so you're going to need to take a, a pen and paper with you so that you can take notes so that you can then look at them again. Or if you're using your phone or your tablet to take notes, it means actually taking notes and not playing games during the sermon. But you see, for others, I guess that when you come to think of that kind of meditating on the Word of God like that, you just think, but how do I do that? Because I'm aware there's some people apparently you can't actually have a conversation with yourself in your head. Think about that. Do you talk to yourself in your head? Most people apparently have an internal monologue, but there's apparently some people who don't and who just can't talk to themselves. And so if you can't talk to yourself in your head, it's really hard to open a passage of scripture and then to have a conversation in your head about it. Um, and maybe that's you. So what are you going to do? Well, one thing I would suggest is why don't you meet up with people to talk about the Bible? So just informally, maybe you can just go to the pub and get a beer and then talk about the Bible. Uh, so uh, when you do that, it means actually when you get together and you're going to talk about the Bible, you actually talk about the Bible and not the man you lost to West Brom yesterday. Now, it means reading the Bible and then discussing it. And as you discuss it, you keep looking back at the Bible to think, is that what the Bible's saying? Where do you get that from? Now I know for myself, actually talking about things out loud sometimes helps me no end to understand what the Bible's saying. Do you know, in the, in the 16th century, so a long time ago now, uh, there was a group of men who met in Cambridge uh, Uni and they went to the White Horse Inn in Cambridge. Uh, they, they got an ale and they used to talk about the Bible and about theology 
discussing what it meant and how they were going to live for that. Now the names of the people who met there may not mean much to you, but there was Thomas Cramner who was there, who in many ways formed the, the Church of England. Not like it is today, but when it was uh, really strong and evangelical and sound. There was William Tyndale who translated the Bible into English. So that actually you can have a Bible here this morning and you can read it in your own language. There was other people like Hugh Latimer who preached to hundreds of people about God and his grace. Men who did great things for God. Men who were martyred for their faith as well, many of them. But you see, what they did was, when they were at university, they met and they they got a pint and they talked about the Bible. And they did great things for God because of that. And I don't think the connection is coincidental. They were shaped and changed by God's word because they thought about it. You see, do you want to do great things for God? Well, cultivate a growing delight in the word of God. Well, the psalmist goes on in verse 3 to tell us what the outcome of this man's way of life is. You see in verse 3? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now imagine with me, you've gone to the garden centre to buy a fruit tree. Now I know it may seem like a bit of a middle-aged thing to do, to go to the garden centre and buy a fruit tree, but, but go with it for the moment. So you go to the garden centre, you choose your tree and you get home with it and you think, I'm going to need to plant this tree now. Now you know your uh, garden gets quite dry in summer so you think, I'm going to need to choose a spot where it's going to be well watered. Uh, You're going to need to choose a spot where you can dig a lot of manure into the ground so that it gets lots of nutrients and grows. And you do that because you want to have a tree which flourishes. You want to have a tree that does what it's meant to do. A tree that has green leaves. A tree that in autumn you can get lots of apples from. And so when you can look out and you can see everything else getting dry around you, you can say, but my tree is growing well because I planted it well. It's well irrigated and it's got good soil. You see the point the psalm's making here? By using this image of a tree planted by streams of water. A man should do this now, as a tree should grow to produce fruit, so a man delighting in God's word should be shaped and changed by it. And then he will be living as a man should be living, doing what a man should be doing. You see, mankind was made with a purpose. And when mankind went their own way and rejected God and took God out of the picture, they couldn't be what they were meant to be. They couldn't be truly human. But the man who is delighting in God's word lives as humanity was meant to live. And it's a great thing. You'll have vigour and vitality. And the contrast is drawn in verse 4 with those who don't do that. You see the picture there? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. You see, the picture here is moved now from the the garden to the the farm fields and the harvest which has been cut and taken in. And as the farmer has harvested his field of wheat or corn or whatever it is, he then takes that wheat up to the top of a big flat hill or a big flat flat platform. And with great shovels, they would throw the, the corn or the wheat into the air. And then all the little bits of dust, the husks of the corn, all the chaff would just be caught in the breeze and blown away. Blown away, never to be gathered up, 
blown away as things which are worthless, have no use to anyone. It's quite a striking image, isn't it? An image of the wicked that are blown away. And that is the same people as are spoken of in verse 1 that the man doesn't uh, listen to. Now the blessed man doesn't follow the wicked, the sinners and the mockers because that group of people are going to be blown away like chaff. That's a very final thing, isn't it? Now the the Bible and this psalm really only present two ways of life. And you see them here. The way of the blessed man or the way of the wicked. As I was reading this this week and as I was preparing to speak on this passage, I found it quite unsettling when I thought of this again. No, I've thought of this before many times and yet as I thought of it again it felt uncomfortable to say this. There's two ways of life. God's way or you're being wicked. You see, as I thought about it, I think of my, I thought of my neighbours. And I think, well, they're nice people. They're good people. They're kind and they're generous and they, they look out for each other. No, they're not in my mind what I think of as bad people. So are they what the, the Bible's speaking of here? Do you know many of you probably had the same similar kind of experience? Maybe as you came to uni, you were thinking, what's it going to be like living in a group of people who are not Christians? Living with a, a flat full of what maybe you, to put it starkly, were worried were going to be wicked people. But I wonder as you've met your flat and you've got to know those other eight or nine people who are there, have you thought of them in that way? Or have you thought of them actually? They're quite nice. They are kind and loving. They're caring. They're hospitable. You know, they've not got much interest in God, but they're nice people. People that I want to be friends with. You see, it's uncomfortable, isn't it, to think that there's only two ways of life when you think of it in that terms. But we need to just think a little bit more to understand what's what's going on here. You see, this is the world which God has made. God has made everything. He's in control of all things. He's the one who gives everything that we have to us and to everybody in the whole world. Now, he upholds the world. He gives good gifts to all. And yet people live as if he doesn't exist. Do you know, they enjoy the world and the good gifts of God as if he doesn't matter. They're happy to enjoy all the benefits that he gives in this world. But give no acknowledgement or thanks to the one who made it all. They reject their ruler. Their maker. And for that reason alone they're called wicked. You see they may be kind and caring but they've rejected their maker. They may be hospitable and friendly but they've rejected the one who made them. They may be diligent and hard working but they want nothing to do with the God who is real. And who holds everything together. You see it's what everybody does. And it's what the Bible calls sin. You see, ultimately we want to be the ones who are going to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. And we're doing that without reference to God. And so the psalm proclaims that they are wicked, they're like chaff. While those who delight in God are like a tree who prosper. 
Well, the psalm goes on to show why that is the case. Look at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. And so while the wicked may now seem to prosper, those who stand against God may, may seem to prosper now. In the light of eternity, they don't. When the day of judgment comes, their way of, way of life will amount to chaff. And those who've lived in opposition to God, either passive or active, won't stand. <coughs> you see, that's what it says, and the sinners will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. The ultimate end of the wicked is destruction. As verse 6 will say, the way of the wicked will perish. And can you see the implied contrast? The sinner cannot stand in the assembly of the righteous, but this blessed man can. This blind blessed man can stand in that place, he has a right to be there. Indeed verse 6 shows that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. You see, get your thinking straight. Eternity is real and matters. You see, we're living this life now in light of eternity. You see, it's not just getting the most of things that we can here. It's also preparing for the best future. So while we might not prosper in terms of material wealth and health now, we will prosper in eternity. And it is also the life which is most satisfying and enjoying now. So pursue God's way. Yet as I close, we need to be sober-minded and think just a little bit more clearly about ourselves as well. You see, if you're honest with yourself, and you look at this psalm, you will see that ultimately you're not like this man. You know, we are people who are often shaped consciously and unconsciously by the world around, aren't we? We make decisions based on what we want. We think and act in ways which really proclaim God does not exist. And sometimes we do things with full knowledge that actually God doesn't want me to live in that way. And other times we just unconsciously join in with the rest of the world. You see, when you read the psalm, at times it can make us feel quite dejected, can't it? Actually, I don't live like this. And the application of the psalm is not just try harder, but it's ultimately to realise who does this psalm apply to fully? And when you see that, you realise that it's the Lord Jesus who this psalm applies to most fully. Now think of the Lord Jesus' life. He wasn't someone shaped by those around him. He was never persuaded to live in accordance with the values of the world around him. The devil tried that when he tempted Jesus. Promised to give him everything. But Jesus said no. He delighted in the law of God. And he must have meditated on it day and night. Do you remember the story of when he was a 12 year old boy going up to Jerusalem. And he sat down in the temple with all the religious experts. And they were staggered at him. Why were they staggered at him? Well surely he'd been delighting in the law of the Lord. He'd been meditating on it day and night. He knew God's ways and purposes. You see Jesus was this man. And the way ultimately that we are blessed is through taking refuge in him. We'll see much more of that in Psalm 2 next week. It is by becoming united to him and being his people that we're blessed. 
And then as we're blessed by him, then we try to emulate him and follow his ways, the ways of the man. That means that we will not walk in the way of the wicked. That means we will be listening to him and his word. That means we will have our eyes fixed on eternity. Well, there's some questions for you to discuss in your groups now, but as we uh, turn to do that, let me uh, pray for us. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he sets an example which is not like anything else in the world. He always did your ways and went your ways. And while we realise that we can't somehow pull our socks up and make ourselves right with you, we thank you for him who ultimately took our penalty on the cross. Father, we pray that as we live our lives now, we might not be throwing that back in your face, but we might be thinking how we can live for you. Father, help us as we've read this psalm to be thinking that here is a picture of how we can live. Father, help us to make the most of uni by not listening to the, the advice and the ways of the world around us, but living for your standards and your purposes, so that we might be bringing glory to you in all that we do, with our eyes fixed on eternity. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's some questions you need to discuss in your groups.